Hello, my Rebels. Today I have a question for you. It's hard to know when you're in the middle of something if it's the beginning, middle, or the end. I mean, think of it like a, like a stock on the stock market or a cryptocurrency. If it's going up, is it a blip about to come back down, or is it just the beginning of a trend? You really, really never know until it's over. So is our diminution of civil liberties, is that a blip or a trend? And I'll give you a historical analogy with Hitler's slow rise to power. I know that sounds dramatic, but I'll make the case for you. That's today's podcast. I'd like to invite you to get the video version of it at rebelnewsplus.com. Eight bucks a month, that's half the price of Netflix. Every day I do a TV version of this podcast, plus weekly shows by David Menzies, Sheila Gunn-Reed, and Andrew Chapados. Most importantly, the eight bucks helps us stay alive. We don't take a dime from Trudeau, which is why we can speak freely. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, is the destruction of our civil liberties a blip or a trend? It's October 7th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Yesterday, Justin Trudeau and Christia Freeland announced a terrible series of new discriminations that will affect millions of Canadians. But the mandatory vaccination that's in place immediately for federal employees will look like. The bottom line, proof of vaccination will be required by no later than the end of this month for all federal employees. And by mid-November, enforcement measures in place will make sure that everyone is vaccinated. Same goes for the second commitment we made, mandatory vaccination on travel. By the end of October, everyone 12 or older on a plane or train within Canada should be fully vaccinated. Literally millions of innocent people will be affected and Trudeau says he wants to make it as onerous as possible for people to get an exemption, even if you have a medical reason the right thing and gotten vaccinated, you deserve the freedom to be safe from COVID-19, to have your kids safe from COVID, to get back to the things you love. And if you haven't gotten your shots yet but want to travel this winter, let's be clear. There will only be a few extremely narrow exceptions like a valid medical condition. For the vast, vast majority of people, the rules are very simple. To travel, you've got to be vaccinated. These travel measures, along with mandatory vaccination for federal employees, are some of the strongest in the world. There to foot the bill for provinces and territories that roll out proof of vaccination programs and will introduce legislation to make it a criminal offense to threaten or harass health care workers. Trudeau really doesn't believe in human rights. He never did. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China um, because their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime. 
He announced this discrimination based on medical condition, or more precisely, the personal health decision of millions of Canadians that they do not want to undergo a particular medical procedure. It was only just invented a few months ago, namely the injection of a vaccine that's still undergoing clinical trials and has been ordered to undergo clinical trials until 2027. To combat an illness, COVID-19, which millions of Canadians have already contracted and recovered from, and are hence naturally immune to, and because millions of Canadians have chosen not to be part of that great experiment, at least not yet, and because of that, they're being denied vast categories of their civil liberties. In the latest iteration of this, they're being banned from flying on planes, taking trains or ships, working for the civil service. This is on top of existing provincial vaccine mandates, and those of many workplaces and universities and even hospitals. It is, I just find it stunning that in the middle of a purported pandemic, Canadian provincial governments are set to fire more than 100,000 nurses, doctors, and other hospital staff. They were all heroes, we were told. Many of them got sick and recovered. They surely know the virus and its risks and the vaccine and its risks more than anyone. Certainly more than a childish surfer pothead who doesn't even read his briefing notes. I mean, this guy. Never apologize for standing up for an LGDP, uh, LGT, LBG, LGBTQ2+. Plus, uh. <laughs> Millions of people, seriously, right now the number is close to 10 million Canadians, have suddenly been denormalized, deplatformed, cancelled, banned, kept out, put as an unclean underclass. Many will be fired, which is a disaster for many people. Many people just a paycheck away from losing their mortgage. And why? Aren't we at 80% injections? Uh, isn't that herd immunity that we were promised? And aren't those people protected now? Why would they even care if they're safe, which is the promise? Look at this. It's the death rate for the virus across Canada. Extremely no, low now in Canada. Isn't that what we were worried about? The anomaly is Alberta, but I no longer trust Alberta's reported statistics, not since their chief health officer said she's now counting illnesses as COVID, even if they have not been diagnosed as COVID. If individuals choose to not get tested for COVID but are home with an illness, um, they're now counted in the list as uh, being part of that outbreak. Yeah, sorry, that's literally fake news and cooked statistics. I don't trust her anymore. Not that I really ever did. Look at the two biggest provinces, Ontario and Quebec. Death rates are approaching zero. Right as the extreme measures are being introduced, why ha hasn't the problem been, been solved? Why are government policies more extreme than ever, even though people are more vaxxed than ever, safer than ever, even though the pandemic is by all legitimate measurements over, at least as an emergency? One theory is that so there is no control group. Do you know what I mean by that? If half the population took the vaccines and the other half did not, over time, you could compare health outcomes for those two big groups over the long term. Were there new cases of cancer? Were there genetic problems? Were there problems with pregnancies, problems like heart disease? If you have one group that took the vaccines and another group that didn't, you could compare them and isolate for that one variable, the vaccines. But if you get rid of the control group, the group that's normal, the default group, the group didn't take the vaccine, you can no longer isolate the vaccine as the variable that caused an illness. Is that why they're trying to get every single person vaxxed? I don't know. I can't think of a more plausible reason. 
Started out with a trickle. Two weeks to flatten the curve. That was then extended. Then, then masking rules. Then social distancing. Even though the FDA's former commissioner admits social distancing was just made up. Well, it's literally the law now. He admits it was made up. We went from two weeks to flatten the curve to firing thousands of people and demonizing them. I had lunch with a friend yesterday who, when she left, said she couldn't tell her family where she was. Now, I thought it was a political insult, but no. She said it was because she, who is double-vaxxed, if she told her family, who are all double-vaxxed, that she had consorted with someone who was unvaxxed, they wouldn't visit with her. Can you imagine that? That is a mania. That's not science. It's superstition. But that's where we are now as a culture. And taking advantage of that chaos and mania is Justin Trudeau never want to miss an opportunity to consolidate power. The greatest civil liberties violation in Canadian history in a sweep of a pen, a far larger scale, 10 million people than Japanese internment or Indian residential schools, an instant apartheid dividing an unclean class. Unclean not in a real sense, they're not infected or anything, they're just unclean in a political sense, political hygiene. They don't have government approval. They don't have Pfizer approval. They're not sick. They just didn't take your medicine. And all this, especially the mass disenfranchisement, made me think of something terrible and personal and permit me to share it with you. You may know I'm Jewish and I grew up in, in Calgary and I went to a Jewish grade school there. And this was in the 1970s and 80s. And as it happened, the principal of the little school and the Yiddish language teacher, they were married Ida and Aaron Eichler, and they had met in a concentration camp in Europe, and they were survivors. And the school taught us about the Holocaust, about the concentration camps, pictures like these, the Jewish ghetto, about Anne Frank. It was shocking and sobering to learn about this stuff in grade school, so we learned about Adolf Hitler, and we learned about how he took power in, in stages and consolidated it. I mean, in 1923, he tries a little coup, you know, the Munich Beer Hall Putsch. It didn't work, and he goes to jail, and he writes Mein Kampf, and it took him 10 years to win an election, to be appointed chancellor, and then step by step, he destroyed democracy. In 1935, he passed the Nuremberg Laws that banned Jews from various civil rights. A few years later, the Kristallnacht riots, and the invasion of Czechoslovakia, and then finally, full-scale war in 1939. And even then, I don't know if you know this, the Holocaust didn't really ramp up for another year or two. And in some parts of Europe, like Hungary, it wasn't even really until 1944 that the Holocaust was prosecuted in full. So it was really more than 10 years, this whole thing. And I remember as a kid, I remember learning about this, 1933, 35, 39, and I remember thinking as a kid, why didn't the Jews leave? Why didn't they flee? I mean, couldn't they see it coming? Now, one answer is there weren't a lot of places to flee to. There weren't a lot of places welcoming Jews as refugees. Even Canada famously turned away a ship of refugees called the St. Louis. It went from port to port with nearly a thousand Jews on it, trying to find some place that would take them. Cuba said no. Canada said no. So that's a real fact. But look, that was already in 1939. What about in 1935? where Jewish civil rights were swept away in one sweep. You couldn't marry a Gentile, you couldn't work in certain places. How about leaving then, 35? Not in a desperate flight as refugees in 1939, but how about calmly leaving in 1935? Calmly settle your affairs, calmly sell your house, move your job. Like, not flee, but walk, don't run. I was reading a historical study that showed 15% of all doctors in Germany 
1933 were Jews. That's a lot. And in some fields, like pediatrics, it was actually half of the doctors were Jews. Half. So just like we're firing 100,000 Canadian doctors and nurses for discriminatory reasons, there were some hospitals in Germany, especially in Berlin, that literally lost half their staff overnight when they banned Jews. I mean, that was 1935. That was the Nuremberg Laws. Wasn't that the time to go? That's what I thought as a child. It's like when you watch a horror movie and a character goes to open a door or enter a room and there's this dramatic music that you hear and obviously the character doesn't hear it and you want to shout out, don't open that door, don't go in that room, but of course he does to his doom. That's why it's a horror movie. But the thing is, you know how the movie is going to go. You know what's behind the door. You can guess. You know you're watching a horror movie. And if you didn't figure it out, the soundtrack would coach you to panic, and so you do. But the character doesn't know he's in a horror movie. He doesn't hear the soundtrack. That's the whole point. He doesn't know. Is it a blip or is it a trend? And in 1933, they didn't know what 1935 would bring. And in 1935, the Nuremberg Law stripping Jews of their civil rights and their right to marry non-Jews and things like that. They didn't know about 1938 yet and the Kristallnacht riots. And in 1938, they didn't yet know about Auschwitz which wouldn't become a massive death camp until the early 40s. We see it now as a progression, a trend inevitable. It's so obvious to us now in retrospect because that's how it's ended and we know how it ended. But in 1933, when it was beginning, who knows? Maybe making Hitler chancellor would calm him down. What with the responsibilities of governing now? He's not just a speech maker. He has to run the place. Maybe in 1935, the Nuremberg Laws would be the worst of it. No death camps for the Jews, just second class status. Maybe Germans being good people, liberal people, educated people, modern people would push back. Maybe, maybe, but it never actually happened. I'm not saying we're on the road to concentration camps, but then again, we've already shown that we'll passively, uh, passively abide COVID jails where Canadians are detained for days at the airport. Even if you're healthy, we've seen larger camps in Australia. We've already shown that we'll be jabbed en masse. We've shown that we'll rat out our neighbors. Every government has a snitch line. We've shown that the police have no compunction going after peaceful protesters and the media who cover them. We see that our police have no compunction arresting and jailing Christian pastors. We've seen that our courts won't stop any of it. In fact, they'll enforce it. We've seen that our hospitals will fire doctors who speak out with a different opinion. In fact, the College of Physicians and Surgeons will ban those doctors. So yesterday, this massive destruction of our civil rights for a whole class of people. Is that just a blip and we're going to go back to normal? Or is that a continuing trend that's just going to get worse? I'm not comparing Trudeau to Hitler, even though Trudeau is an authoritarian and a bit of a sociopath too, we've learned. Our media is compliant. All our institutions are. Nothing has pushed back at all. No countervailing force of any kind so why wouldn't we keep going on a trend, not an anomalous blip? Why would things stop here? Why wouldn't, for example, our police become like Australia's police? That's just one notch further. And just full out declare war against the people. I'm told all of this is very popular in the polls. So is Hitler, not that they really had polls back then, but he certainly could fill stadiums. And who's going to stop him? Aaron O'Toole? He didn't have a word to say about yesterday. Not one 
word. He had a tweet about how much he likes beer. That was his message of the day yesterday. So I ask you, yesterday's civil liberties disaster. Silence, by the way, from the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Silence from every provincial premier, every one of them. Silence from the so-called conservative parties. Silence from the courts. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are about to be fired. Many of them put into poverty, distress, because of a mad plan, a merger really between corporate giants and political giants, big pharma and big government and big tech and big media. So was yesterday just a temporary anomaly? Are we really gonna return to normal soon? Or is this a trend that will only continue and only get worse? What do you think? Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, there's so much going on in Canada. We just had our federal election. And one of the issues that wasn't talked about much during the campaign, but was resolved somewhat short days after the campaign, was the illegal detention, I would say hostage taking, of two Canadians, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig, for more than a thousand days by China in a brazen uh, reaction or punishment to Canada for arresting the CFO and founder of, uh, daughter of the founder of Huawei, uh, Meng Wanzhou. Um, even after the two Michaels were returned to Canada, Justin Trudeau simply cannot muster any criticism of that country and diplomacy continues as normal, but China is not acting normally. It's continuing to show aggression, including this past week towards Taiwan in unprecedented ways. In the past week, about 150 Chinese aircraft from the People's Liberation Army Air Force have penetrated Taiwan's airspace, testing and probing Taiwan's response, and more importantly, testing the resolve of the West, especially U.S. President Joe Biden, who perhaps tempted China by showing tremendous weakness in the fall of Afghanistan. Let me show you a tweet from Hu Shijin in Global Times, an English language Chinese Communist Party propaganda out, uh, outfit. They say PLA, People's Liberation Army, already has the ability now to liberate Taiwan at one stroke. Why has to wait until 2025? That the mainland hasn't taken the action is a goodwill of Beijing to treasure cross-straits peace. I worry that the goodwill could be abused by Taiwan and the war is triggered suddenly. Just shocking comments from the Communist Party trying to normalize and in fact make inevitable the idea of a Chinese invasion. And what does Joe Biden's press secretary have to say about the matter? Well, here's a quick clip of that. What is the White House's interpretation of what China is doing and what can be done to kind of ratchet down those tensions? Well, we remain concerned by the People's Republic of China's provocative military activity near Taiwan, which is destabilizing, risks miscalculations, and undermines a regional peace and stability. We urge Beijing to seize its military, diplomatic, and economic pressure and coercion against Taiwan. And we have an abiding interest in peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. Uh, that's why we will continue to assist Taiwan in maintaining a sufficient self-defense capability. We maintain our commitments, as outlined in the three communiques, Taiwan Relations Act, and the Six Assurance 
differences. Our commitment to Taiwan is rock solid and contributes to the maintenance of peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait and within the region. We have been clear privately and publicly about our concern about the PRC's pressure and coercion toward Taiwan, and we will continue to watch the situation very closely. Well, I suppose that's better than nothing, but it's not much, and it's by a spokesman and not by the president himself. What does this all mean? Is an invasion of Taiwan inevitable? If those 150 or so probes turn into an actual attack, what would America do? Joining us now via Skype is our friend Gordon Chang, the author of The Coming Collapse of China. You can follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, great to see you again. I am nervous about this. They are ramping up. They're testing and probing not just of Taiwan's air defenses, but of the West's reaction. What do you make of both? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Ezra. Well, you know, right now, um, there are these unprecedented incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. And although, you know, people talk about invasion, I worry about an accident, you know, something where, you know, two planes come together, as they did on April 1st, 2001, when a Chinese jet clipped the wing of a unarmed U.S. Navy reconnaissance plane, the EP-3. Um, there's a couple things going on right now. It, one of them is that in Beijing, um, there is uh, political turmoil. Um, we don't know the full extent of it, but clearly uh, Xi Jinping is under attack. And I think that really makes him um, decide to basically try it on Taiwan um, to sort of unify the political system and the Chinese people behind him. But there's that other aspect to it, which you mentioned, and that is the Chinese elite does not think very much of Joe Biden. And we know this because of the fall of Kabul. Chinese propaganda had two narratives. One of them was that because the U.S. couldn't deal with the Taliban, it certainly couldn't counter China. And also Beijing said that when it invaded Taiwan, that Taiwan would fall within a couple of days and the U.S. wouldn't come to help. Now, I'm not saying that their perception is right, but it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what they think. And mm -hmm. right now, they're thinking some pretty dangerous thoughts. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's credible. Taiwan is so far from the United States. It's even far from Hawaii. It's even far from other U.S. bases in the Pacific. And it's so close to China. And it's geographically a fairly small country. So the idea that it could fall before America could actually muster a strong force in the region, it strikes me as reasonable, as terrifying and as horrific, but that it's pragmatically possible. I do see this flicker of, I don't know, interest. I see American F-35 jets, those are one of the most modern jets in the American military, taking off and landing from a Japanese aircraft carrier. That's something that you don't see every day. Um, I've, I've, that's an interesting show of cooperation. It shows that Japan is very much engaged in defense. Should we ascribe meaning to that? Are there other American aircraft carriers in the region? Um, what could America and Japan and others and Taiwan itself deploy against the, the PLA, the People's Liberation Army? Yeah, that's an important development that you highlight. And that is at the moment, there are four big decks, as they say. There's two U.S. aircraft carriers, the Ronald Reagan and the Carl Vincent. There is the U.K.'s only aircraft carrier, the Queen Elizabeth. And then there's a Japanese ship that you mentioned, the Ida. Um, and um, they are now in um, probably the South China Sea. They were in the Philippine Sea a, a day or so ago. Um, 
And, and this means it's a show of resolve on the part of the West. And, and this is more important than the words from Jen Psaki or even the statement from the State Department on Sunday, um, which they said they were, quote unquote, very concerned. What we really need to see is uh, the president of the United States actually talk about defending Taiwan. That did not occur. On Tuesday, he said that he spoke to Xi Jinping and that they both agreed to abide by the Taiwan agreement, quote unquote, um, which no one really knows what Biden means, because that's not a term that's used in official U.S. discourse on Taiwan. So, you know, right now, um, I think Beijing believes that it can do pretty much what it wants. Um, so we've got to be watching this day by day, especially October 10th, which is Taiwan's national day. Yeah, well, that's coming up very uh, close. I see that Taiwan's foreign minister has publicly reached out to Australia. I find that interesting because you mentioned the UK has an aircraft carrier nearby. Japan is doing joint uh, operations or exercises with America. Australia is another, you know, it's a fair-sized military. It's certainly not as big as China's, but it it's not just the military might, it's the fact that the, there's forming a defensive alliance of countries, that's interesting to me. These are countries who have been in their own way bullied either economically or, or diplomatically. It sounds like maybe some good things are happening, even if President Biden himself is inattentive, that maybe other countries together are starting to realize that there's a problem here and that they better defend Taiwan or the rest of them will be gobbled up. Yeah, Japan, for instance, has made a number of statements over the last couple of months about how Taiwan is integral to the defense of Japan, which it is because Japan and Taiwan are part of the same island chain. Um, with Australia, um, there was the announcement of AUKUS, which is uh, Australia, the UK and the US, a security pact. Um, Biden gets an A, I suppose, for um, strategic um, decision making, but he also gets an F for implementation um, because uh, that was rushed into announcement. And because of that, uh, we have a rupture in relations with France, our mm -hmm. oldest ally. Right. And really, this means that uh, the United States has made itself less safe by angering our traditional friends in Europe. Yeah, that's very interesting, too. I know they, they felt uh, left out and cut out of the deal. Um, how about other countries like South Korea and even Vietnam, uh, are, are they taking sides? I mean, they're, they're perhaps not as militarily powerful. Um, have, uh, is there a growing regional um, counterweight? Like I, I think of how Iran forced a number of other small Gulf states and even Israel into some sort of anti-Iran counterweight. Is that happening with littler countries too, uh, like Vietnam and Korea? Well, South Korea has taken sides, but they're taking China's side. Um, really? South Korea has has a president, Moon Jae-in, who is, um, he might as well be a North Korean communist. Uh, really? Because he certainly governs like one. He's very much closer to Beijing than he is to Washington. Wow. Fortunately, the South Korean people don't agree with him on these issues. But as long as Moon is president, and that's through the spring of next year, we've got an issue. Vietnam is interesting because um, they, of course, next to China, they fought a war with China in 1979, which, by the way, they won. Um, and um, Vietnam has been trying to maintain good relations with both sides, but it has also firm ties with India and Japan. And so um, Vietnam is very much um, moving in our direction. You know, Ezra, there's the quad. 
that's the tie-up of India, Australia, Japan, and the United States. And that is an important grouping. But Biden's chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan has really made Indian policymakers rethink their move towards the U.S. And mm. that is going to be damage that's going to take a long time for the United States to repair, perhaps a decade. Wow. Uh, listen, I've learned so much from you, and I always do. And, and I just want to say to my viewers, if you're not following Gordon on Twitter, please remedy that. He's at Gordon G. Chang, and you'll learn so much, and you'll learn it before you read it in the mainstream media. Can I ask you just one last question? And I, I really don't know much about this, but you mentioned there's turmoil in China, and I keep seeing this word Evergrande, which I take it is a is a company, and it feels like it, it may be, I, I hear it may be their Lehman Brothers or something. I don't understand it. Can you give me and our viewers one minute on what is Evergrande and why is it a crisis for China? Evergrande is China's now second largest property developer. It has $305 billion in debts. It defaulted on its um, foreign currency loans at the end of last year, although the lenders have yet to declare a default. Um, this could trigger um, the faults of other uh, property companies. And indeed, one has already defaulted, Fantasia Holdings. Uh, right now, um, China is sitting on the edge of a debt crisis. And I don't think it can solve it because there's just simply too much debt. They can defer the reckoning, but not for very much longer. So this is an existential crisis for Beijing. Wow. Well, as you said right at the top of our interview, that could be one reason why uh, the dictators yes. want to distract and misdirect. Great to catch up with you. Thank you so much. Again, we're talking with our friend Gordon G. Chang. Follow him on Twitter and read his book, The Coming Collapse of China. Take care, my friend. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Ezra. Right on. There you have it. Stay with us. More ahead. Welcome back some letters on last night's show. Someone with the name Tyrannosaurus says, all these mandates are illegal. If there are any lawyers willing to fight this injustice, please form up and do it. I can't do my job if I'm imprisoned here by a criminal mandate from our evil PM. Well, that's the thing about laws is they sort of are the definition of legal. That's what legal means. Now, are they unconstitutional? That's a different thing. Because our Constitution doesn't ban laws that are stupid or mean or cruel. Constitution only limits the government when their laws are unconstitutional, when they, not when they violate our freedoms, but when they violate our freedoms without a good excuse. That's how our Constitution is set up. We have this list of fundamental freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of mobility, but they're not absolute. Every one of them is subject to section one of the Constitution, which allows the government to infringe them if there is a pressing and substantial concern that's rationally connected to the problem they're trying to solve. By that I mean, when you declare a state of emergency and every doctor in the country says, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever, judges are gonna say, no, I'm not gonna overturn the laws. So you may think they're illegal and I might also, and I might think they're unconstitutional and immoral, but I gotta tell you, in a year and a half, there's not been a single judge in Canada who agrees with you. And I know that's very pessimistic and very hopeless to say that. And we're not hopeless. We're still going to sue. We've started FightVaccinePassports.com in concert with the Democracy Fund. We are going to sue. 
but I'm afraid we are on this path. Someone with the name Foxfam says, remember when they didn't block travel into Canada because it was racist? But now he's created a full-out medical apartheid in Canada. I've never felt so hated or endangered by my government. Yeah, that's what's so incredible is that this has just disenfranchised in the most literal sense millions of Canadians who have done nothing wrong their entire lives, who were successes in their field from the highest to the lowest. If you simply refuse to get jabbed in some experimental medicine to an overhyped pandemic, you don't, won't just be fired, you'll be forced to live as a pariah. Fox 202 says, I have no idea how he convinced the public that it's okay to go this far with it when regardless of being vaccinated or not, you can still get spread and carry COVID. There's clearly way more to this than a virus, yet so many people can't see it. So sad to see that people can be tricked so easily into believing something that makes absolutely no sense. The only thing getting flattened is people's wallets and the economy. Well, I don't know if they were tricked, but the problem is we don't have any opposition. As I said in my monologue today, the leader of the opposition not only didn't say a word against forced vaccines during the whole campaign, but he didn't say anything even yesterday when, when they were enacted. He, he had a tweet about enjoying beer. And what media, other than alternative independent media like us, are squawking about it? So that's why. I mean, Maxime Bernier give the guy credit, but he didn't even have a seat himself, either before or after the election. We're in dark days, my friends. We'll keep fighting. It's all we know how to do. I like to uh, end these days by showing you a video. If you want to see the time, you know, time machine, look a few months or years into our future, look to Australia. Here's our Australia correspondent, Avi Amini, who is being stopped by police and harassed for his papers. The only thing missing is the German accent and the German uniforms. We really are on that road, aren't we? I'll let you go with that video. It's a great video, but before I do, let me... Thank you for watching, and on behalf of all of us here to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom. Well, I'm here to discuss um, your right to be here. I appreciate that you're reporting on behalf of the media, but there is criteria that has to be met for people to be in the city today. Yep. Um, do you have a worker's permit? Absolutely, mate. Third time's a charm. How many times are you guys going to... Can you send a message out once I show you it that I've showed it three times and we're good? Do your uh, off-siders as well? You know what we do well at Rebel News? Cover yourself. We're just going to record them. Obviously, it's what we You're going to record my details, mate. You and I both know my details. You probably know my details better than I know my details. These people don't. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, we've done that. Oh, you got it all? Yeah. There you go. There, these guys are all right. You should keep them. Is that this gentleman's? Uh, is that your one? Did you give me that one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You see, this is all right. We don't mind. When, you're, when, when they come up respectfully and check your, check your papers like they did in uh, Nazi Germany, we're cool with that. It's just when they unlawfully arrest and assault us and our staff, that's when there's a problem. Can we just take a look at yours again, Arby? Sorry. We just need to have a look. This one seems to be expired. Your new security. Past your dates. Oh, I thought it was 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. My understanding. So just ask, call the security company, tell them to send you a new one now. Right, we can, yeah, we can easily just get a new one sent out, but um, 
I thought it went. Yours doesn't have a roster or schedule of work as well. No, it says yeah, all no, weeks. No, you see that that's one ongoing, all weeks. That's the Andromeda ticket. It's me that signs it. Well, it is me that signs that one. That's just the mask's rules, just in case, because I've noticed some of your officers need the education. I reckon I should be giving classes at Vic Pol Academy. I'm willing to donate my time. Too kind. Sorry, Give us a moment. On my part. The, all, all weeks, he said, I've got to just tick that box, but it's all weeks those times. Yeah. So I've just got to. Have you got a pen? I'm the one that filled that for him. I'm happy to tick that for him. Okay. You do that for me. I'm, I'm a, I'm, listen, these paperwork, it gets very no, confusing. Paperwork's all our job. No, it isn't. These days, it's also arresting, unarmed. Come on. I'm good to see. You. I'm happy to see you guys without any rubber bullet gun here. I'll take your your pencil and get charged with theft. <laughs> You're right. I like you. This is the ludicrousy of it all. They know exactly why I'm here. They know it's legitimate purpose. What they're checking out is if there's a technicality on the paperwork, can it be fixed? Anyways, I'll call the lawyer because we might as well get that sorted now. You got a lawyer working on the server, eh? Well, you know, you guys Jeez. you guys are funny, so I need a lawyer 24-7 with you guys. They like to play those old tricks, finding those technicalities. Lattes right now, wouldn't they? How you doing, Madeline? The police here are so surprised that they have a lawyer on standby on a Saturday. They're impressed. My lawyer's on the phone, she just wants to know what's the issue with that one. We just need to confirm that they're all valid. They seem to be incomplete to me. So we're just getting someone down here who's aware of these and how they need to be filled in to check them out. And then once that's done, yeah, we'll be able to them. So you're saying to me, you're so confused by these permits that you don't know how it works. Just someone down to confirm it all. <laughs> and we're expected to fill them out. He's got to get an expert. Did you hear that, Madeline? She advises that basically, if you believe it's legit and there's a problem with the way we filled it out, we're happy to fill it, fix it. Yours good? Yeah, mine's good. Oh, that, that was good the whole time? Yeah, yeah. So they just mucked with you? <laughs> Alright, no worries. Daniels was actually kosher. It was... It's... Uh, it, I think uh, the academy needs some training on these papers. I think we might need to educate them. I offered my services. Anyways, I'll speak to you. Bye. <laughs> So yours was cool. Yeah, yeah mine's good. I, I think mine's fine as well. I just got to tick that box. Do you want me to tick that box? Counted mine correctly. Big man. Big man. I'm happy to tick that box and then it's complete. This is just fine. Look, they, they've called in a specialist in their specialist vehicle, um, unmarked police vehicle, to make sure that our paperwork is kosher. This is because science. The science says that if you're permit isn't ticked in the right box, things can get deadly. They're really trying hard to invalidate those permits. How you going, officer? Boss? So they're satisfied with that. So that's they're oh. okay. So there's your workers' permit. So who, just so I know for my own reference, who, who which uh, specialist division made sure that this is kosher? So I can, I can speak to the next person who stops me. Yeah, yeah. It's from our prosecutions, our legal people. Oh, the legal, oh, they know me well. We're okay. on first name so, basis. So you got your workers' permit. Um, you're free to go, that's fine. Um, obviously you know not to get in their way if things do get out. We know that better than anyone. All right. Thanks, Harvey, have a good day. No worries. So that took 20 minutes for the police to verify and validate that our workers' permit are legit, even though they knew it, know exactly what we're doing here. They had to call the specialist legal uh, department of Victoria Police to confirm it. I have a feeling it was really just to hold us up so we can't get to doing our job. Uh, 
Maybe that's, maybe we should charge him with hindering a journalist. But here we go. We're gonna continue our work. Let's go to the protest.